And we are live with this week's edition of the Sports Cafe. I'm your host, Mike Mandel. We have all of our regular contributors on the line here. First, I'll start with Adam from the Big Apple. How are you doing tonight? Doing well. Yeah, ready to talk some sports. We got a lot of NBA talk, finally. Um, it's been a quick off season, and uh, looking forward to talking about some of the trades and potential free agent signings. Absolutely. And Ian Gus, now from Nutley, New Jersey. Yeah, it feels like winter out here. I'm sure you guys are experiencing it, too. Uh, getting deep into November, Thanksgiving next week, and the holidays around the corner. It's uh, definitely crunch time in the NFL season and lots of NBA developments with the new uh, new kind of timeline and schedule for everything between, uh, between seasons. So looking forward to discussing. Yeah, I think we'll see more and more overlap here. And we've got Mike Wilde back from Chicago. Yeah, good to be good to be on again. Ready for the NBA draft tomorrow night. Excited. Finally, Garpacks are not in charge of the Bulls, so very much looking forward to the NBA season this year. Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to have plenty of time to, to talk about basketball. Um, first, we're going to talk about the one sport um, that is currently active, and that is the NFL. Um, last Sunday was quite a day. We had a lot of big games and a lot of big plays to end out the week. So go around to each one of you, and we'll see what stood out the most. And I'll, uh, I will start with you, Ian, as I believe you had a bye last week, so you were probably only watching other games. No, no, don't forget. Who beat your team? You're right. Yeah, This we week we had a bye. <laughs> the other New York team had a bye. Yeah, you right. don't uh... – yeah, you probably want to forget that game, which well, that was uh, maybe we'll talk about uh, as we make our picks for Week 11 a little bit. But, I mean, I think the there was a lot of exciting football this past week. I think one thing I also noticed, and I guess it was because the Masters was uh, finishing this Sunday, is there were a lot more late games than you normally see. So the schedule was more balanced. You had, I think, six early, six late games. So it was kind of a, a football lover's dream. You got a lot of uh, great finishes. You didn't get too many duds. And even if there were duds, there were plenty of other games, too keep you interested i think uh you know the one i'll point out that's probably most obvious the bulls car uh bills cardinals game uh obviously come down to the last possession uh with kyla murray making an unbelievable throw um and you know a, a hail mary catch in the end zone which was just one of the most unbelievable plays you know in many years i guess you could say really stood out with hopkins making the catch um, and, and those two teams just seemed like some of the top teams in the NFL. It was a great back-and-forth game. The Bills uh, took the lead late. Cardinals came back and, and won it basically on a walk-off. So, you know, the Cardinals were a team that I think most people didn't predict to be, you know, one of the favorites going to this year. I think people were high on, on Kyler, but maybe didn't think this would be, you know, their year yet. But they've been playing great. And at 6-3, and three, I think a lot of people are – are on the bandwagon after they've won four out of their last five. Um, so from an excitement level, that was that was really what stood out. I know there were other surprising results, which I'm sure we'll discuss. But um, uh, you know, we're happy to happy to chat this game further because this one really stood out in, in one of the better games in the last few years. Yeah, and I was I was watching that hail mary, and I'm thinking, well, well, why, why can't my team do something like this? Why why can't we pull off that kind of magic? We simply don't have yeah, the your, your team. Your team only won a Super Bowl a couple years ago. No, no big deal. <laughs> How quick you forget? They played well when they needed to in that game. Okay, uh, I'm talking about right now. <laughs> but Adam, I'll, uh, I'll go to you since you, your, your team actually did have the uh, the bye. Um, 
you, you were probably watching a lot of the other games around the league. I think the the Jets covered last week. They were they were minus three versus the bye. Um, yeah. But no, I, I think what, what stands out to me, I, you know, I remember a, a few episodes ago we were talking about which teams would or which team would would uh, hold out with an undefeated record for the longest, which team which team would have the longest run. And obviously it's it's now just the Steelers who stand alone at nine and zero. But on top of that, um, not only have some of those undefeated teams that we were talking about a few weeks ago lost games, but some of them. Uh, in the case of the Tennessee Titans, are out of the playoffs completely. You look at a team like the Seattle Seahawks, who um, you know were playing really well. I think they got off to a five and zero start. They lost a close game to the Rams, their their divisional rival, and the Seahawks now find themselves as the the last team in in the NFC at, in the number seven seed at a six and three record. So even though um, there's a lot of um, competitive teams out there, you look at the NFC again. You know the the last team in has six wins with the Seahawks and the, and the Rams uh, at, at six and seven, respectively. Uh, it just goes to show that it, it is a long season and, and a lot of things can change. So some of the teams that looked really strong out of the shoot have kind of, uh, you know, regressed to the to the norm here a little bit. And, um, you know, we're starting to see other teams emerge to the uh, leader of the pack. Well, it's quite a turnaround in all of about three weeks of football. I think you've seen like almost an, a complete change of current standings. And the Ravens too. I I I forgot to mention the Ravens. That I mean, was I the other big game. They were they were two of our uh, uh, two of our Super Bowl picks, um, and they find themselves at six and three as well. But they're the last team in, in the AFC, and getting spanked by the Patriots too. And, and that leaves Mike. I know you had a, a Monday night game to watch last night, um, so you got to watch basically everything on Sunday, all the action. Now, what stood out most? I don't know what you're talking about. What happened <laughs> last night? Um, what stood out the most? I So I had a good Sunday, actually. I watched the Masters in the morning, as Ian said. Shout out to D- Dustin Johnson. Well-deserved. Minus 20 for the, the win. It's a Augusta record, and it was weird because it's November. But, hey, Masters in November, and then again in April, I'll, I'll take it. And shout out to Cameron Smith. He had four rounds in the 60s, which is a first. So anyway, I watched that in the morning, and then in the afternoon, I watched a bunch of football and obviously the the Cardinals and Bills game was the huge story of the week and we'll get to that in a little bit but what stands out to me now is I was looking at the standings and you have three teams in the AFC who were bottom feeders last year and they're all six and three and I'm talking about the probably the best story in the league this year the Miami Dolphins at six and three with Ryan Fitzpatrick starting out well and then Tua taking over and their defense is fifth in points allowed in the league so they're playing great and uh, Brian Flores has done an excellent job really shaping them up in a year this was supposed to be a rebuild year for them and they look like they're a playoff team and then you have the Las Vegas Raiders I was going to say Oakland Raiders but I want to uh, acknowledge Andrew Travis my former radio mate on WBRS back in the day. He's a huge Raider fan and they're finally putting together a winning season. So Well more importantly, is is he a sports cafe fan? He is a sports listener. cafe. He I have sent him several okay. of the podcasts. What up He's Trav? Fan. Thanks for listening. So shout out to Trav. And then the Cleveland Browns are also six and three and 
Baker Mayfield started his career, looked like he was going to be a really good quarterback and then had some struggles. And now again this year, the Browns kind of took a hiatus last year. They weren't supposed to be as bad as they were. And now they're reaching at least some of their potential. So I'll be interested to see how those three teams continue to progress because I think at least one of them is going to make the playoffs. And it's always nice to see some of those teams that have struggled for several years get a chance to compete. And the NFL has a lot of parity. The four of us kind of know that, even though we represent four of probably the worst teams in the league at this moment. But it's nice that at least some fan bases that have not had much to cheer for are getting a chance to root for at least the playoffs this year, not draft picks. So that's my initial thought. Absolutely. And the Dolphins were definitely one of the games I was watching because, yeah, they, they've clearly been a shocker this year for almost the entire league. Um, I, I think it was somewhat expected that Tua Tagovailoa would, would slowly but surely gain more and more of a role throughout the season um, as the Dolphins quarterback. But what, what wasn't expected is that the rest of the team would keep him competitive and even give Tua a, a chance to go to the playoffs in his first season. Because that's what you're seeing. You know, he I feel like the, the first week they put him in, he uh, that game was largely won defensively, and you know he did just enough to, to keep his offense going, but wasn't a huge factor in that game. But he's becoming more and more of a presence um, as they're playing more games. They're, they're giving him a larger role, so I think it's great to see. Um, and, and then another thing, which, which, you know, looking at the Thursday night game, which I watched, is I'll admit, um, I, I clearly underestimated the Colts at the beginning of the season and the genius of Frank Reich. I figured this was a transition year for them that, you know, they bring on an aging quarterback to um, ultimately give way to a potential new draft pick maybe next year or the year after. But um, they are now one of the top teams within the AFC, and uh, Frank Reich is showing his true genius. Um, he's certainly doing a lot better than his former boss is doing right now. Um, his former boss being Doug Peterson. So that's an exciting team to watch. And um, it's, it's, it's a team that I could root for, um, having been an integral part of the uh, uh, the Eagles' 2017 Super Bowl win that Adam has reminded me of. Uh, which, for the record, I did not forget. I'm, I'm just feeling a lot of pain this particular season, seeing all of it kind of collapse. Um, and and that, that'll bring us to, uh, to our own teams. And I know... I want to say three of us played last week. One of us didn't. So um, Adam is the, uh, the the fan who, whose team did not play last week but beat the spread in the bye. Um, I'll let you uh, pick first for the uh, their upcoming game against the Chargers. Okay. Um, so Jets are, are uh, in Los Angeles to play the Chargers, uh, eight-and-a-half-point spread. Um the Jets, for the most part, have been losing against the spread, although, of course, their their Monday night football game against the Patriots, they not only covered, they almost won the game. So uh, it's kind of weird for me to say right now, but I think the Jets are getting better. Uh, Darnold is not going to play this week. Uh, Joe Flacco will be starting, I think, for the third straight week, and he actually played really well for the most part against the Patriots. The Chargers are very talented but very inconsistent. Uh, they have lost a ton of close games this season. They, they always seem to find ways to lose games in gut-wrenching fashion. Uh, eight and a half points. Uh, guys, for the first time this season, 
I am going to pick the Jets to cover the spread. I don't think they're going to win the game, but eight and a half is enough for me. I'm taking the Jets. All right. And then I will go over to Mike, who is uh, one of the two teams who will have a bye this week, but um, definitely saw quite a game last night. Um, So I'll let you give a quick recap on the Bears and their current state, and you can pick this next game. So I just don't know what to say anymore other than the fact that the the one word that comes to mind is abominable it is just to the point where i can't even watch the bears offense anymore and i don't think any bears fan can watch the offense of this because for years my whole life i've been seeing teams where defensively they've been close to elite or elite when they've been good and the offense has been an eternal question. And as I said last week, they brought Matt Nagy in to fix the offense. It's not working. They gave the play calling to Bill Lazor this week, the offensive coordinator, for the first time. And obviously, it didn't do anything. And this, in my opinion, could have been, in my life, the worst offensive game I've ever seen the Bears play, given the opponent and given how the offense as a whole function. I think they had a total of 146 yards in this game. They had minus two yards, I believe, in the third quarter. They had negative yards in the third quarter. And if it wasn't for Cordero Patterson's touchdown return, they would have scored six points. And the Vikings have been terrible in the secondary this year. They've been getting burned by quarterbacks that are given Nick Foles' track record, worse than Nick Foles. But I think the combination of the offensive line, Nick Foles has not played well, and the play calling, it just has made for, if not the worst, one of the worst offenses I've ever seen, at least as a Bears fan. And Adam, I know the Jets are worse, but it's... (laughs) Yeah, you got to be careful with your choice of words here, guys. It's not that... As as it's dire not as far apart as you think. Doesn't your team have the, the best Jets record of the four of our teams? Yeah, his team is yeah, five hundred. They're like a game out of the playoffs. We're zero and four in our last four games. So I'm sorry, guys. Argue. You you guys. I'm not saying you're not entitled to complain about you your team, but you, okay, you have to you, you have to temper your complaints, knowing that there's a Jets fan here on this podcast. Let okay? me just ask you this: Did did the three of you watch any of the game last night? I did, and eventually no. shut it off. Okay. <laughs> I did not watch it. So it's good that you spared your eyes from what was on TV last night because it was ugly all around. Yeah. So I, 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 I watch what, whatever you saw last night. I get to watch 16 times a year. So I, I understand. But listen, I'll give you some hope, okay? At least you guys have a bunch of caps, but you have a huge amount of cap space. You potentially have the first overall pick next year, Trevor Lawrence. And you got a lot of different people. Mikai Becton, is that how you pronounce it? Is it Mikai? Yes. Mikai. Mikai Becton is potentially a franchise left tackle. The Bears have nothing. We have zero. We had Khalil Mack. Okay, a first of, of all, those are, those are all hypotheticals for the most part. Well, and I'm just saying. Secondly, secondly, you get to root for your team to win games. I have to not root anymore. against my team every not, week. Not anymore. To, to hope that we lose out so we can get the number one pick. But bottom line, I'll, I'll get to my point about the yes. game. It was just terrible. The Bears are done 
It's over. We're five and one, probably the worst five and one team ever. They need to clean house. I'm sorry, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace. It didn't work, but there there needs to be a reckoning because this is just I I can't watch this anymore. It's it's insane. My whole life. When when am I gonna see an average offense? It's it's crazy. Anyway, so Mike, do you want me to pick the Jets game because Adam picked it, or you want me to pick the Bears? Oh, the Bears are on by. Exactly. So you'll you'll yeah, pick the Jets God. here. So the Jets. <laughs> And the Chargers, okay, so I agree with what Adam said about the Chargers keeping it close, but at this point, given my performance, I should just pick against whatever my gut feeling tells me. So I'm going to take the Chargers minus 8.5 here. I think the Jets are terrible, as Adam said, and the Chargers at least have Justin Herbert. So that's my analysis of this game. Chargers minus 8.5. All right, Ian, as you also have a, uh, a bye this week, I'll let you give a quick recap on the Giants, and then you can pick the uh, the Jets Chargers as well. So Giants-Eagles, which it sounds like you may have uh, already wiped from your memory, Mike. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think it was a, a relatively entertaining game. It was not a flawless game by any means, but it was a good back and forth. And, uh, you know, for my sake, the Giants did not blow it in the end this time, although I feel like they gave the Eagles plenty of opportunities and they just didn't take advantage of it. There was the second um, rushing TD opportunity for Daniel Jones that was called back due to an offensive hold. There were a couple other drop passes that would have resulted in first downs and keeping the clock running. Uh, But the Eagles are just, I don't know. I mean, they don't look, they might even be worse than the Giants. Uh, But the Giants, you know, I, I know Adam's been talking them up almost every week they have potential it's just they they really can't i haven't seen them you know complete a game to the best of their ability i don't know if that's a coaching issue personnel issue whatever the situation is they do seem to play hard maybe the the roster isn't filled with talent but i will say they've been a little more entertaining to watch which i know is more you can say for i guess wiles team adam's team maybe even mike's team so I'm I'm feeling a little bit better about the Giants. It's a weird scenario because they have three wins, like what three and seven. So in a normal season, they'd be out of it, and you'd be rooting for them to lose. But this season, they're only game and a half out of first. That said, they do have a bye this week, so I guess they're likely to lose ground. But it's it's definitely a weird year in a lot of ways, and and the Giants' season is is proving that as well. Um, so. You know, it was good to get the win against a team besides Washington. Let's see if they can beat a team outside of the NFC East, and then I'll, you know, actually be a little bit more excited. But for now, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic and hope to see at least continued progress the rest of the season. But Ian, they've got three wins. But you look at the the first game against the Eagles, the yeah, game against the Bucks, they, and they the Cowboys, and they blew the, the Eagles game. But yeah, yeah, but that has to yeah, they're right they there. Should have won those games. But they didn't, and that's what I'm saying. Is they're not a you know they're not a, a good team wins those games. A competent team wins those games. I mean yeah. so that loss against the Eagles was one of the all time. I don't know if you want to call it a choke, but I mean they were up. I don't remember the numbers. Mike Mandel probably does, but the Giants blew yeah. it in the last couple of minutes. So yeah, yeah. you're right. But, but they're I mean, they but they're rebuilding. It's a new coach. Yeah, and you know as long yeah. as they're playing oh, hard, I think I think you have to be happy with the direction they're positive heading. Positive signs for sure. All right, so what are your oh, thoughts you on the Jets Chargers? The, you want me to pick the Jets uh, Chargers? So I'm going to agree with Adam here. Uh, you know, the Jets, they played better last week. They're coming off a bye. 
Chargers are, are a team that I feel like every time they have expectations, they never usually live up to them. I know it's a bit of a new regime in, uh, in L.A. now, but eight and a half seems a bit high. So I will take the points and uh, go with the Jets keeping it close. It looks like the mics are going to be aligned here. Um, the Jets beat the spread for the first time two weeks ago. Um Played an impressive game, but I don't expect them to do it again. I think the Chargers are not going to hold back. Um, they're another team that, you know, via their record doesn't look so good, but have a, a young rookie quarterback who's looking to prove himself. I don't think eight and a half is enough, and I'm going to go with the Chargers. Um, so next we'll go to the uh, the other team that's playing this week, which is the Eagles. But I'd be remiss not to mention the uh, the standings of our picks. Um from last week, the host has uh, has made a comeback, going four and one, um, picking both against his own team and for the Rams against the Seahawks. Um, that that brings me up from uh, from last place to second. Um, Adam is still cruising in first at two and three last week. Um, you still have, I think, a four game lead over over me and Ian and Mike both also two and three and are now tied um, sixteen and seventeen. One behind the host, uh, five behind Adam. So it's definitely getting closer here, and still a lot of the season to go. So that'll lead me to the uh, the Eagles, who, as Ian recalled, I, I well, I, I tried to wipe it from my memory. I can't entirely wipe it because um, as much as I want to see the Eagles fail to win their division and put themselves in a better position for next season, uh, the game. They, they can't be that painful to watch. This, this was just pure pain. This is one of the games that, you know, by all accounts, they should have won, right? If they're going to have any chance to do anything this season, they know that they basically have to sweep their division. Um, we saw the Giants choke against us the first time we played. And, you know, this time the offense didn't do anything productive. They made mistake after mistake after mistake, save for the running game. I'll, I'll give I'll give the running back some credit. They they played a great game, but the passing game, um, it, n- nothing seemed to go right. The, the offensive line couldn't hold as usual. Wentz continued to hang on to the ball too long and get sacked, and the defense did not show up. Um, they, they Even if the offense was competent, the defense would not have allowed them to, to get back into it. So, you know, for me, I, I think this is when you have to start, and, and I know what the coach has said about this, but this is when you have to start thinking, okay, is it time to put in the kid Jalen Hurts, who, who we drafted as our second rounder uh, this, this past draft? Uh, many people were scratching their heads, but I think this is as good a time as any to give him a shot. I know that Peterson and the team are going to argue, well, hold on, we still have a shot at making the playoffs, um, so we got to go with our guy, our franchise guy, but... Uh, I, this is not the year to do it because even even if they somehow pull out a, a division win at six nine and one or whatever, um, they're, they're clearly not capable of beating a playoff caliber team. And all that would do is set them up for a tougher schedule next season and a and a worse draft pick. Um, didn't they did they just sign Wentz to an extension though, like last year? They did, but we 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 see how well that's working right now. You know, I I feel like you can't necessarily bind yourself to those contracts right i mean if, if it's not working something's got to be done I'm, I'm just saying we got to test out the kid that's all i'm saying and if, if that doesn't work out we go right back to wins but i figure this is the season to give it a try so that said i'm going to go against conventional wisdom here against the cleveland browns um 
because this is really the only team outside of their division that we would even give them a shot at winning. Um, Cleveland's offense has been solid. The defense, it had been shaky up until last week, but I'm going to say against all odds that the Eagles are going to find a way to beat the spread here. And I I don't know why. I I just have a gut feeling that somehow they're going to show up this game and probably disappear the rest of the season. So, Adam, I will let you make the, uh, the next pick here. Yeah, the Eagles have been a, a massive disappointment this year, and it's it's hard to believe that they're in first place with the way that they've played. Again, it just speaks to how brutal that division is. So my my head really wants to take the Browns here, but the three and a half points I think is enough to entice me the other way. Um, you know, the Eagles are kind of in desperation mode here, and, and Mike, as you alluded to, you certainly start to have questions about whether Carson Wentz is the guy. Um, but I think that the Eagles realize that as bad as the season has been, um, they're still in first place. They still have a, a home field playoff game um, if the season ended today. So um, I'll see them. Not not sure whether they'll win or not, but I'm going to pick them to cover here against the Browns at three and a half. All right. And Ian, whose team conquered us last week. Well, what do For you the say first here? time in eight or nine meetings, I believe, by the way. Yeah, it was an eight-game um, win streak that, that was snapped. Had to happen. So I'm going to agree with both of you, and I'm a little uh, reluctant now that it, we seem to all be on the Eagles bandwagon. But um, I was going to bring it up earlier when Mike Weil was, was mentioning the surprise uh, six-win teams. And I think the one that's that I have no confidence in is the Browns. I mean, they started four and one. They've really only, of their six wins, only one of them's impressive. That's a win at home against Indy. The rest of their wins are against Cincinnati, Washington, Dallas, Cincy again, and then that pretty much unwatchable game against Houston that was 3 nothing until late into the fourth quarter where they squeaked out the 10-7 victory. Um, so, again, Philly backs up against the wall. Like Mandel said, I could see them winning this game, getting you know everyone back on, on board, and then uh, them maybe later in the season deciding to choke things away at least that's my hope so i will go with the eagles and agree with adam and mike and that leaves you a while you're going to go against the three of us or are you going to uh stick with the trend so the eagles don't like me very much because it started in the playoffs in 2018 early 2019 i guess it was and now this year every time i pick them they lose so given that track record and my surprise team even though i know the browns are two and two in their last four i'm gonna pick the browns here i like that i'm going against the three of you guys i could gain a game so the browns have been solid if unspectacular odell beckham jr obviously is out but i have not been impressed by the eagles at all this year so can the browns win by four points yeah, the Browns can win by four points. Cleveland, minus three and a half. I will be gaining a game on the three of you who foolishly have faith in Carson Wentz and the Eagles this year because I'm done with them. Yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> uh, given that two of us have buys this week, uh, we have not one but three games of the week uh, in tradition from last week. Uh, three great games. Uh, it was even harder to pick this week because there were a couple more that I could have chosen, but I chose the three that... Looked like they'd be the most fun and, and had lines available when I looked. Uh, first, we'll look at the uh, Clash of the Titans in the NFC West. The Seahawks, or the Cardinals at the Seahawks. The Seahawks get, um, or the Cardinals get three points here. Mike, I'll start with you. 
this game is really interesting because you have two of the most exciting quarterbacks in the league. I took the Seahawks and the points last week, and it didn't work out for me. The The Rams are... They, they surprised me, frankly, last week. So the Cardinals are getting points. The Seahawks' defense is terrible. The Cardinals are coming off of that epic Hail Mary win. Even though it's in Seattle, there's no fans. I'm going to take Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, plus three. I like them plus three here. All right, and Ian, who I think uh, joined me in uh, picking the Bills against the Cardinals and, and somehow won that last week. Yeah, um, so I'm going to agree with Weil on this one. I I just feel like Arizona's playing a lot better. Seahawks and Russell Wilson really hasn't looked like himself the last few weeks. So hard to say if this is a trend or just a couple-week blip. But, you know, the Cardinals did beat the Seahawks uh, their first meeting in overtime, 37-34. It was a, a thrilling game. Um, so, you know, Arizona's not afraid of Seattle. Without the fans there, that obviously helps because it is a tough place to play. Uh, Thursday night game, you know, sometimes makes for a little sloppiness. Things get a little get a little crazy. Definitely can see the uh, the Seahawks going down again at home. All right, so we've got two two with the Cardinals. Adam, I will go to you. Yeah, this is going to be an awesome game. I think a rare Thursday night matchup that you have to tune in and watch. And not only is it important because it's interdivision, but you look at the card the Cardinals and Seahawks have the same record at six and three, but the Cardinals right now. Uh, are the number three seed with a with obviously a, a home game in the playoffs and and the Seahawks as I mentioned earlier are the last team in the playoffs so uh, you know a win for the Seahawks could could reverse those fortunes right away. That being said, I love the way the Cardinals are playing right now. Um, Kyler Murray has probably elevated himself into MVP conversations right now, and it's crazy to think that just a couple years ago we were talking about whether or not he should be going pro in baseball or football. I mean. To think, I mean, if this kid had gone the baseball route, I mean, he'd be in the minor leagues making, uh, you know, under well under a million dollars. Um, I mean, I guess he'd, he'd get a signing bonus, but he'd be making a lot less than he'd be making in the NFL, where he's a starter and a superstar. Um, I'm going to take the Cardinals. This is uh, th- this should be a shootout. Um, you know, the Seahawks have been struggling. The defense, I think, is a lot worse than expected, having brought in Jamal Adams. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Cardinals. Yeah, and I, I was one who made a bold prediction at the beginning of the season that the Cardinals would somehow manage to win the division despite it being the toughest division in the league, and then finishing fourth last season. And I mean, Kyler Murray has been an absolute monster this year. Clearly, the trade for for DeAndre Hopkins has, has benefited them in a big way. Their other players have stepped up, and you know Seattle is going without the uh, the twelfth man. That said, they still have managed to find a way to be unbeaten at home this season. I don't know how, but for, yeah, they, I guess they still feel some sort of home field advantage. So that's something that I cannot ignore. I still think that Arizona will go on to win the division, but I don't think they're going to win this one. So I'm going to go against the grain and pick the Seahawks. I will add, though, this is only their fourth home game, right? And their first three wins were against New England, Dallas, and San Francisco. So be a I tough matchup for them. Say it's number five home game, if I'm not mistaken. Am I missing one? Yeah, I gotta look, but uh, oh, I'm sorry, Minnesota as well. They won by one point. Yeah, true. And, uh, but all right, we will see. We will see. So that brings us to game of the week number two: the Packers at the Colts. And Ian, I will go to you first. 
Yeah, this is another interesting one. I believe I picked the Colts last week on the road against uh, the Titans. I feel like the the Colts are are trending upwards, and Green Bay has has had a couple of hiccups. They were one of those late undefeated teams that uh, you know I think I've lost a little bit of confidence in. Um, you know, still leading that uh, rather poor North Division with the the uh, what three game lead now over Chicago. Um, I think I'm going to go with the home team. I'll go with the Colts. Um, they they seem to play well, you know, no matter where they are, and um, can see them winning this game by at least a field goal. And Mike, I will turn to you next. So, as much as I hate them, I'm going to take the Packers. They're getting points. They squeaked it out against the Jaguars last week. I know the Colts beat the Titans, but to me, Aaron Rodgers is going to bounce back and the Packers offense is going to score enough where they'll either win or keep it within two. I think, I think the Colts, if they win, it could be a field goal, but I'm willing to take that risk. So Packers plus 2.5. All right, Adam, how about you? I'm taking the Packers as well. They were a bit underwhelming last week. They almost lost to the Jaguars somehow, but uh, they still control their own destiny. They're first place in the NFC right now. I see them bouncing back. Should be a close game, but I'll take the Packers if you're giving me the points. Yeah, this is a tough one for me. I keep going back and forth here because, you know, but both these teams have been so much streaky this season. They've both overall been great, um, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But I think at the end of the day, i got to go with the Colts. They seem to be an even hotter team right now than the Packers, and even with a couple of points, I still think that they're going to cover the spread. So that leads us to our last game of the week, which I believe is a Monday night matchup between the L.A. Rams and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa. Uh, Rams get three and a half points. Adam, I will let you pick this one first. Yeah, the the Rams have been a really hard team to figure out. Uh, They've looked really good at times. I mean, the win over Seattle last week was very impressive. And then they've had a couple of duds. You look at, um, you know, they lost to a beat-up San Francisco team. They lost to Miami earlier earlier in the season, although the Dolphins may actually be a pretty good football team. Um, I'm going to take Tampa Bay here. I really like the way they played last week. I know they were embarrassed two weeks ago in primetime Monday Night Football um, against New Orleans. So I see Tom Brady bouncing back. Uh, I'll take the Buccaneers minus three and a half. All right. And I will go to Ian next. I'm also going to take the Bucks. I think they're showing last week, which we haven't talked about as, as you know, one of the bigger surprises to score 46 points. A lot of people were questioning Brady. Um, you know, he threw for three touchdowns. I think he QB sneaked another one, 340 yards. Um, you know, again, it was against Carolina, not the best opponent, but it was still pretty impressive and on the road as well. The Rams have played really well this season, but I'm still not fully buying in. Um, so definitely see them here going down to Tampa. All right, and that brings it over to you, Wile. I think that until Jared Goff gets it together, it's going to be hard to take the Rams against an offense like the Bucks. I think Tom Brady, with all his weapons, is going to carry them to a victory this week. And I see them winning by around six. So I'm going to take Tampa also minus three and a half. Although I love how the Rams defense played last week. And also um, 
I think their running backs have been impressive. They're three-headed monster, but I still, I still see the Bucks here. And I, I did pick the Rams last week against the the Seahawks, but this week I got to agree with you guys. I, I I think that you know the Rams have been impressive this season, but the Bucks are still the the better team and have mainly been more consistent. So um, looks like we're all going to be with the Bucks. So that's a wrap on football. As we said at the beginning of the show, we have a lot of basketball topics to talk about with the um, the season starting in just over a month and you know, free agency and you know, being in full swing right now. So we've seen a bunch of big transactions come across so far, but I don't think there's any topic that is quite as big as um, James Harden declining the, uh, the Rockets option and openly discussing his desire to join the Nets. Um, so Adam, I'll start with you because I... I I know you had brought up the um, the discussion point of whether or not the, the superstars should be the ones that, that that are forcing trades on their team. So, you know, what 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 are your thoughts here? Also, as being, a, I believe the Nets are your second team, if I'm not mistaken. I I, I got one team. I'm a Clippers fan. I, I I've always been, uh, you know. I've always had a soft spot for the Nets. I used to go to games at Continental Airlines Arena. But um, uh, as far as the, the Harden talks, I mean, look, I, I mean, this is what makes the NBA offseason so fun. I mean, you, you live for, for, you know, trade rumors like this. I mean, this is what makes the sport so exciting because the NBA, uh, more so than any other sport, is so superstar-driven. I mean, you need to have one of the – two or three best players in the league in order to win the championship that that's just the facts i mean you can talk about you know tanking for a draft pick and um you know signing guys in free agency but the bottom line is if you don't have uh lebron or kd or kobe or Shaq or tim duncan you're not winning the championship i mean you look at the the nba winners um over the past 20 years and Basically, one of those five guys has has been on the on a roster of the of the championship winning team. So, that's why when a guy like James Harden, who is probably a consensus top five player in the NBA, when a guy like him becomes available or or is demanding a trade, um, you know, to another team, it is so newsworthy. Um, so I think to to address your your initial question about the the conversation around superstars forcing trades. Yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 not a good look. Um, it's something that I think the NBA should. I don't know how they fix it. I mean, the the superstars clearly run the show, um, despite these you know crazy contracts that they get. I mean, think about this for a second. James Harden turned down a, an average annual salary of fifty million dollars that the Rockets offered him, and he wants out. He's got two years left on his deal. So, um, you know, you certainly feel for the fan bases who can't. Uh, retain their star players because they they demand a trade, but you know it's just kind of the nature of the beast. So I think we have to accept it for what it is. And, and Mike, you know you, your biggest superstar um, was somewhat of an exception. He, he he never forced a trade, right? He wanted to stick with the Bulls through and through, or basically retire at least up until he was about I don't know thirty nine years old and joined the Wizards. So what are your thoughts? Should superstars be doing this, or should they go the Jordan route and uh, stick to their teams? I'm a traditionalist, so I like when the stars of teams stick with their teams, but I know realistically in this day and age it's not going to happen because you have players teaming up as early as AAU, making plans to play together once they turn pro. So it doesn't surprise me, and I think LeBron 
as he's jumped around has kind of normalized this new era. And if the biggest star in the game is doing it and is succeeding, then what's to stop other players from doing it? So I don't have a problem with it. I think he's going to end up with his old buddy Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and they're going to give Brooklyn Nets fans something to cheer about. They they could go to the finals next year. So I I know there's one basketball, so it makes basketball kind of a unique situation where even though you have three guys that want the ball, only one can have it at the time, at a time. So it'll be interesting to see how they work together, but I see this happening. I see Harden going to the Nets, and even though I'm a traditionalist, it's sort of par for the course at this point. And, Ian, what do you think about Harden coming into town? Um, you think you're going to switch over to the Nets if, if he comes? <laughs> I've had plenty of opportunities. I don't think this will be the, the, slow, the saying, straw that breaks the camel's back. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's – yeah, I'm not necessarily in favor of it, but I will say it makes things interesting. Uh, you know, it, it makes kind of the NBA offseason different than other sports. Um, I guess, you you know, you have a little bit in, with holdouts and – the NFL, but not from a trade perspective. Um, but no, I mean, I don't, if we want to kind of transition to the will it work discussion, I mean, I have a lot of doubts. I mean, we saw it with, you know, with the Knicks, with Carmelo many years ago. It's like, you really have to be, you have to change your game when you're a superstar playing on a team and, and leading that team. And when a player's still in his prime and one of the best players like Harden is in the league, you know, he's not going to want to play second fiddle to anyone and I don't you know he might have to or there'd have to be buy-in from all three of those guys for the Nets and I know there are some rumors too um, with the Celtics and, and your team Mike the, the Sixers there's been a little bit of rumor around around those teams and I, I think it's interesting too with with the Rockets and their front office if the Nets don't provide their best the best offer of all the teams what do they end up doing and you know I, I believe they can. They don't have to listen to Harden, right? Because he, he doesn't have a no trade clause. Um, so you know, if another team swoops in, a team like the Warriors, for example, who have you know a lot of assets, a lot of you know top picks, would they consider doing something with another team? It's, I mean, I would say he's definitely out of Houston. I wouldn't say it's for sure that he's going to Brooklyn. Now it'll be interesting to see how it plays out and if it ends up happening, you know, as soon as tomorrow before the NBA draft. I just want to make one quick point about why this seems to happen. I mean, clearly LeBron kind of paved the way for, you know, building these super teams. Or I guess really the, the Celtics started it, um, although the Celtics traded for their players. And, you know, KG certainly didn't ask out of Minnesota and, and neither did Ray Allen um, in Seattle. But I think that you look back at some great NBA players. You look at a Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing. Reggie Miller, and they were all fantastic players, but everybody now now in the social media era, they get criticized for not winning a title, um, and, and people look at that as a real knock on their resume. I mean, you get Charles Barkley gets made fun of all the time by, by Shaq on, on the TNT show for, for never winning a title, and I think that now, you know, in the era of social media, you have all these young players who are on Twitter who are being criticized by fans about not winning a title you saw with Kevin Durant I think it bothered him a lot that you know he, he wasn't able to win with with Oklahoma City and he was willing to basically sell out and 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 you know sign with the greatest regular season team we've ever seen to guarantee himself a championship and I think 
a guy like James Harden probably feels somewhat similar in the sense that he's accomplished everything that he can from a regular season standpoint. He's won an MVP, but he's probably reached as far as he can go with the Houston Rockets. And yeah, you know, he, he would have to sacrifice numbers and and certainly his ego, but going to a team like the Brooklyn Nets with other superstars probably gives him the best chance to win a title other than teaming up with LeBron. So unfortunately, I think a lot of these players feel pressure that their careers aren't validated without a top title. And as a result, you're seeing more and more players, um, you know, demand trades. Yeah, and I'm also of the mind, and this is a little bit less traditional, that just like in other professions, it should be at least somewhat of a two-way street. I understand that in sports, you know, given how contracts are negotiated and signed, that it largely is going to be the owners that are the dominant side. But, I mean, the player, there shouldn't be anything stopping the player from at least making a preference, right? If he thinks that the best situation for him is to go to Brooklyn, then you know why, why not let him come out and say that? And obviously Brooklyn is going to take that into account, as is any other team that might want to want to go for him, right? They they might at least consider, okay, we we can we can try to take him, but we know that his heart is in Brooklyn right now. Um, you know, as to whether or not that'll be a good fit, see, I, I feel like he wouldn't suggest the trade if he wasn't willing. To share the ball, right? He 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 knows that he's got a couple of, of other superstars to play with. In fact, one who 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 he had played with played with back when he was a sixth man. Um, so I, I yeah I I think that he would be going into it with a mindset. Okay, I'm I'm now one of a trio. I'm not the D lone superstar on the team anymore. You know whether or not it works. I think him and KD are both in their early thirties, around our age. So he's got probably about a two or three season window to make it happen, but. Adam, to your point, um, I think he sees this as simply a better opportunity than than the Rockets, who don't seem yeah. to be. The, the the problem I have with that look, if a guy wants to sign in free agency, fine, I get it. And and players are actually incentivized to re-sign with their own team, right? Because they can sign uh, an extra year at more money if they stay with their own team. So if a guy wants to take less money to sign somewhere else, fine. But I guess the problem I have is that you've got guys in their prime with multiple years left on their deals who are demanding trades and for some of these smaller market teams in particular you, you put them in such a hard spot i mean the rockets have invested everything in james harden and yeah look they, they've come up short of their goals but i mean trading him is obviously going to mean a rebuild and they're going to lose a lot of their um you know marketing opportunities with him so i i get it from Harden's standpoint but I guess it doesn't it doesn't make it feel right the fact that he's demanding out with with two years left to go. I th- in my opinion, you sign a contract, you should you should honor it. Yeah, I mean, do, do you think they would still be better off though, given that he doesn't really want to be there if he were to stay? Well, I, if a guy makes it if a guy makes it public, he doesn't want to be there. I agree, you have to get rid of him. I mean, I know the Jets had the same issue with Jamal Adams. I love the player. They're better with him, but if a guy doesn't want to be there, it's a it's a disaster for the locker room. Um, so I agree. Um, but I guess talking about the fit and and whether it works in Brooklyn. So I I've gone back and forth on this because, I mean, for obvious reasons, you know, Harden is not the best fit with with KD and Kyrie Irving. I mean, all of them are are very ball centric. I know Harden used to be you know, six man in Oklahoma City, but I mean, a lot has changed since then. He's He's really developed, and I mean, he's he's a top five player in the NBA right now. 
Um, so I understand that. I'm very hesitant about dumping all your draft picks for, for one guy in the sense that, I mean, the Nets basically did the exact same thing for when they traded for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. Um, I understand those guys were much later in their careers, but it was still a, a horrible overpay, um, and it, it failed miserably. That being said, a guy like James Harden, if you have an opportunity to trade for him and he wants to be on your team and your, your other two superstars want him there as well, it's very, very hard to say no to something like that. And you, you talk about the fit, does it work? I think if, if, they, if, if KD and Kyrie both want him there, they will figure out a way to make it work. And, and the Eastern Conference as it is is weaker than the West. I think that you put th- the three of those guys on the roster. You, you have DeAndre Jordan. I'm sure you could fill out the rest of the roster with some you know vets who are looking to latch on for a championship. I think you have to feel pretty good about their chances to, at the very least make the Eastern Conference Finals and that's something that you know the Nets um, you know it's been 20 years since since the Nets were, were really a team with with championship aspirations so long story short you play to win championships and in the NBA you're not winning a championship without superstars so the Nets are the Nets are all in on Kevin Durant if this is what he wants then I think you I think you you pull the trigger and and hope that uh, hope that they have a championship to show for it at the end of the road Right, I mean, the key is is what you get back in return if you're the Rockets. So if Harden doesn't want to stay, to your point, Adam, even though he has two years on his deal, if the Rockets can get, I read on Twitter that the Nets are saying, oh, we'll, we'll give you everything we have. We'll give you all these picks. We'll give you pick swaps. We'll also give you Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie. Then you can make the argument if Harden's going to leave anyway, his value's only going to go down because the contract's going to expire. Do it. So I, I think that this could potentially work out as well as possible for both teams because if if um, the Bucks made the trade for Drew Holiday that they did today and they had to give up, what was it, three first-round yeah, picks? Yeah, that's crazy. Then think about how much Harden's going to be worse. So it looks to me that's like it's I a seller's market. So, right, exactly. The Nets, the, the, I, they, they definitely have enough to get is, it done. Is they, they, they've got Dinwiddie, several picks yeah. and pick swaps going to be enough when these first-round picks could be in the back of the first round? But if, so, if they're giving up, like, three first-round picks and then two pick swaps, and you're talking five years out from now, I mean, that's a long time. Um, I think you probably hit on, on one or two of those draft picks. But I think what I wanted to ask you guys was, I think just another angle I've I've taken here is my concern around the Nets right now is the uncertainty around Kyrie and KD as far as health is is concerned. Uh, Durant has not played in a full season. Uh, Everyone assumes he'll be back at full strength, but you never really know. Kyrie Irving has been very injury prone. So the question would be if one of those two guys goes down, and I know the Nets have a lot of depth. They've got a lot of nice pieces. If one of those two guys were to go down, do the Nets still have enough left on the roster to be, uh, you know, championship contenders? If it's just KD and the rest of the guys or just Kyrie? If the answer is no, then Harden becomes real insurance because if one of those two guys goes down, then at least you've got Harden and Durant or you've got Harden and, and Kyrie. And I think that's a, that's a pretty solid one-two punch um, that can compete with anybody in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I, I think that's part of it too. And I, I mean, 
basketball still a contact sport, and you got guys that are in their you know, in their thirties. It's I feel like you have to anticipate the potential for for a major injury to happen, and, and you know it does give that insurance when you have that extra superstar that's now on the team that can carry him through those injuries. And the season is upon us. Um, it is going to be starting on December 22nd. We just got the official word, I think, about a couple of hours before we started to podcast. A um, couple new features. It'll only be 72 games. They want to try to shorten the season a little bit so that it'll be finished in time for the uh, 2021 Olympics. Um, playoffs, I think, are set to end in July. And um, one thing that they're carrying over from the COVID-shortened 2020 season is the play-in tournament uh, for the 7th and 8th seeds. Um, so, Ian, I will go first to you. What are your thoughts on the new season format? Um, what are you excited to see? Do you think they should have uh, kept the part with the, uh, the play-in tournament? Um, well, I think the elephant in the room is still COVID. And, um, you know, by all indications are they're not going with a bubble, obviously, given the the, the full, uh, you know, plethora of NBA teams playing. And I think there's even some discussions of, of teams having fans in the stadiums, which were in the arenas, which I do not think is a good idea. Personally, I think there, this is going to be a very fine line to get this season in. I think it's interesting. And I think the NBA realizes it by basically saying they're not even going to release the full schedule uh, at once. They're going to do it in two parts because they're anticipating missed games um you know, in the first half, they're going to have to figure out from a schedule standpoint in the back half. It sounds, though, that they are going to be doing kind of geographically uh, conducive series, right, to limit traveling, which um, will be nice um, and really something they should do um, all the time. I, I think travel is an issue with the NBA that we've discussed for years and saw with the bubble. Players were a lot fresher when they didn't have to travel. So it would be good to see that carried forward. Um, and, and personally, I, I do like the play-in tournament. I mean, partially, I guess, as a Knicks fan who, if anything, maybe they can make the last in the play-in tournament. So at least give me something additional to root for um, and, and makes things a bit more fun. But um, definitely excited to have this all, uh, you know, kind of formalized and official. But I, I am pretty skeptical that it's all going to work out as anticipated, given what we're seeing with COVID throughout the country right now. And Micah, as another team who I believe had an extended offseason this year, I think about, what, eight, nine months between playing. Are you excited for this new season and this new format? I'm very excited as a Bulls fan for the new season because we finally don't have to deal with gar packs, as I said in the opening. But in terms of just seeing basketball again, yeah, I'm super excited because we haven't really had sports, with all respect to the Mac and Thursday Night Football, for the last few weeks, there's been no sports during the week. So it's been – it'll be nice to have another sport to watch. And in terms of the format, I think that the 72 games is a fair compromise. I think that you get most of the season in, and it'll be good because the players that are veteran players that played in the tournament, it's not fair to make them play a full season. And I think you'll see a lot of them sit out a month or so anyway at the beginning – and in terms of the play-in tournament for the 7 and 8 seeds, I like it. You give incentive to the teams that are just outside the top 8, and you also make it interesting, where usually the playoff race is on the bottom. It's like, eh, okay, who's going to who's gonna win 
and who's then gonna have get to play the, the one. Round, right, yeah. exactly. I was going to say who's going to play the one or two seed. But at least with the tournament, you give the fan bases something to cheer about. Like March Madness, you advance around and then you get crushed. So, Or it gives the team momentum going into the playoffs. So I like it. It's an interesting idea. And in terms of the schedule being released in two parts, if it's a geographic thing, then it makes sense. I think that there's so much uncertainty with COVID that there's going to be things in the next year that are going to be done differently. But as far as I'm concerned, as long as we have a season, I'm happy. And I've been having faith this whole time that things would work out with sports. They have so far. And I see it happening again for the NBA this year. So I'm very much looking forward to it. And I'm excited for the Bulls to have a new head coach in Billy Donovan, new general manager and president, and... Let's let's go. The draft's tomorrow night. I'm ready. Yeah, I, I think things are definitely looking up for the Bulls. And that brings us to Adam, whose Clippers had the shortest offseason among the four of us, who will be looking to um, get even further than they did last season with a new coach. Uh, what do you think? You excited about this? Yeah, the, the shortest and also somehow the longest offseason at the same time, given the um, the epic collapse that, that ended their season. But yeah, as far as the new format, uh, 72 games, I, I think it makes sense. I think they've they've blocked out or they don't want to commit to the second half in case there are, you know, game cancellations that need to be made up. So I have no issues with that. As far as the play-in tournament, I think if the reason they're doing it is because the games are going to be more heavily based off of geography and the the playing tournament is kind of a way to balance it out so like you know if one team had a harder schedule because they were playing teams in their in their region than another i guess the the seven through ten tournament gives maybe some of those teams that had a harder schedule a chance to uh beat up on maybe some of the weaker teams who finished higher because of the strength of schedule so in that case um I think it'll it'll make the games fun to watch. I don't know about having that as a long-term solution. I still think that you want the eight best teams in there, and and teams that finish worse than that shouldn't really be incentivized. But um, you know, we'll we'll see how it is. I think we we've all accepted the fact that this is the new normal. Um, the other thing I did want to point out is I believe I read somewhere that there will not be an all-star game this year. So I'm sure that they'll announce an all-star team so the players can get whatever bonuses or, or recognition that they deserve. But uh, no all-star game this year. So that'll be disappointing. I know NBA All-Star Weekend is always um, one of my favorites or probably my, my favorite all-star weekend of, of the four major sports. So that'll be a real bummer. But hopefully we can have them back the following um, the following year. Yeah, they, they, they've said that there will be an all-star break without an all-star game. Yeah. <laughs> right, I mean, but it's it's reasonable to think this year a lot of leagues aren't doing all-star games, so it's one year I can live without it. Yeah, it, it makes sense. And also, I, I think the league could probably forget about having fans before any vaccine is released. Um, it's pretty clear where the uh, the coronavirus is trending um, as we get closer and closer to the winter months. It's... It's basically exploded as far as incidents have gone. So I would imagine that teams who have um, originally planned on having fans are probably not going to. Um, I'm I, not I sure about that. I, don't, I, I could see them bring – I think that they really need some fans in there. Um, at least the owners are, are going to want the fans in there to, to make up for some of their losses. Um, you know, Even if it's just a couple hundred, a couple thousand. Uh, so I, I wouldn't necessarily rule that out. Um, for certain, but I think what will be interesting, yeah. But yeah. I think what will be interesting to see is, 
you know, there, there were no fans in the bubble, but it, it still had a really cool atmosphere. I mean, every there were no, you know, stands or anything. You had the, the Jumbotron screens there on the side, so it didn't really feel like an empty arena. But it'll be interesting to see if the games lose some of that energy. They're back in the building, but if the seats are completely empty, you wonder if you lose a little bit of that energy. Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll probably try to do something similar to what they did in baseball and football, where I, I think you, you did lose some of that energy as a consequence. Um, you know, as much as the owners want the fans there, I it's not entirely going to be up to them, right? I, I think it might even depend on where the stadium is located. Some states are probably going to be more restrictive than others. Um, it seems like some of the southern states tend to be some of the less restrictive states. So you might see... a yeah, an unhealthy mix of, of some stadiums with fans and some without arenas, I should say. They'll, they'll be indoors. Um, it, it definitely makes sense to me to shorten the season. And, and I think, Adam, I, I echo your comments about how, you know, given the uh, unusual schedule of the regular season, it, it does make sense to have the play-in tournament to, to balance out um, an unpredictable schedule. But... Um, yeah, going forward, I, I would shelve that. Um, the seven and eight teams already are already going into it with very long odds against the uh, the one and two seeds in their conference. Um, I think making them play even more just to get in and, and have an even greater chance of being demolished by then would, would not be the way to go. Um, particularly in uh, in an eighty two game season, that's easily long enough to to determine who the best teams are. So. We've got one topic to discuss in baseball before we move on to final thoughts, and that is um, Kim Eng making history um, as the first female GM to ever manage a, uh, a male professional baseball team when the, uh, the Marlins, um, under Derek Jeter, hired her for the position. I believe she was passed up by a total of five other teams uh, throughout her career in that position in the Marlins. Uh, finally decided to jump on it. Mike, I'll... Uh, I'll turn to you first. I know you, uh, you've certainly requested an ownership change on your part. So what, what, what do you think of the Marlins making this move? I think it's a fantastic move. I think it's long overdue for her. She started with the White Sox, and then she had tons of experience and may even be overqualified at this point for the general manager's position. But I think that she's going to do a great job. It's to me even the fact that she's a woman obviously it's a huge deal but I just look at her baseball knowledge and I say she's the best candidate out there so Derek Jeter and the Marlins organization I congratulate and Kim Eng I think is going to represent women in baseball very well and probably lead to more opportunities for other women to get front office jobs so this is going to I think work out great for the Marlins and it's another example the Marlins are under the radar I I was talking about it during the baseball season they have all these great pitchers that are coming and they have a talented young team and they swept the Cubs which is always good so this is another step in the right direction and Adam we're gonna have to be facing these uh these Marlins a lot next season, um, given that we're in the same division. What do you think of the hire from a uh, from a neutral standpoint? Yeah, it, it, it's always great to see barriers broken. I think the ultimate goal is we get to a point where uh, you know these hires are not judged based on gender or race or anything like that. That they're they're assessed strictly as baseball people. So hopefully, 
we're getting to a point where that happens. Uh, that being said, look, um, I'm, I'm happy she got the job. She took one of the hardest jobs in the sport. I mean, let's not forget she's going to be working for the Miami Marlins, who have one of the smallest uh, payrolls in baseball. Uh, I don't believe there are indications that they'll be uh, increasing their payroll, particularly with what's going on with COVID right now. So she will certainly have her work cut out for her, cut out for her. But um, you know, hopefully she's up for the challenge. But that being said. She's a general manager now, and she'll be open to the same kind of criticism that all 29 other GMs have. So, unfortunately for her, she'll have a lot less resources to work with being in Miami. But, um, you know, for her sake, I hope she, uh, you know, she does a great job. Not not too good of a job, you know, as far as um, <laughs> winning the division. But, you know, hopefully she's there for a while. And, again, anytime someone is able to break a barrier, I think that's always a great thing. And uh, I will uh, turn to, to you, Ian. I know you had... Probably, you know, the, the Yankees had the, the most experience they've played against the Marlins probably like ever, and won't likely be the same next season. But what what, what are your thoughts on on this? Well, I mean, my first thought, and I I was familiar with her because she worked under uh, Brian Cashman for I think three or four years in the late '90s as assistant GM, and the Yankees have had a long time female assistant GM, Gene Afterman, um, for for many years too. So. The Yankees won, you know, they've been at the forefront, at least from a from a gender standpoint. But, yeah, she worked in the league for the last number of years and definitely had quite a lot of experience. Pretty different than, you know, some of these young GMs getting hired right out of Ivy League school. So, um, no, it was great to see. Obviously, you know, it, it should be celebrated. Someone has to be first. It probably took too long. And definitely agree with Adam. I mean, I'd love to get to a point where it's not a it's not a big deal. But first, you got to get past this. And. I think we can definitely celebrate it, and, and kudos to Jeter. I mean, the Marlins and Jeter have gotten a lot of bad press since he took over that franchise. You know, firing some of the favorite, uh, longtime favorite uh, players who were kind of uh, ambassadors for the team, uh, shutting out Marlins man, things of that nature over the last few years. But I think he's getting a lot of good press here, and it'll be interesting. She definitely doesn't have too many resources from a money standpoint, but. Um, you know, let's see what she can do from a trade and, and you know, I guess fiscally uh, making the right signings when her payroll is, is pretty small. So looking forward to seeing how it plays out. And the Marlins are a fun team. I think uh, they might be my, you know, my new National League favorite that I'll, I'll root for. Yeah, and I had heard that she had had a great relationship with Jeter um, when he was playing for the Yankees. Um, and that's part of what led to the decision. But, yeah, you know, I, I think – being a team with who, who's a rival of the Marlins, they I, I got to give it to them. They they seized a, a really excellent opportunity here, in my opinion. Um, she had been passed up in the past by the Dodgers, the Mariners, the Padres, the Angels, and the Giants, all West Coast teams, all for that general manager position. I think going back to two thousand five. Uh, so I, you know, the Marlins, I think, really were smart to jump on this because you know Kim Ang knowing that she is making history here, being the lone woman, um, not just in baseball, but in all of male professional sports in her position, I think she's going to feel that she has to work extra hard, if that's even possible for a general manager to work twice as hard as any of her male counterparts, because she knows that she's going to be under a microscope. You know, Being in the position, whether it's fair or not, um, she will be judged differently by the public than her male counterparts are. Um, I, I, you know, as you guys said, would love to get to a point where gender is no longer a factor in these hiring decisions. But right now, clearly, it is, and I, I think that 
that Angle uses to her advantage. Um, and I, I don't know that you'll find a harder working GM than her, and that's really saying something. So um, I think it was a great move for the Marlins as a Phillies fan. Obviously, I you know I don't much envy having to go up against her, but. Um, You've heard my comments on the Phillies' future last week. I don't think uh, they have much of one for the next few years. Um, so I, I, I guess I, I could still be proud of the Marlins for making this decision while still being able to root against them on the field. Um, so that'll bring us to final thoughts for the week. Uh, Adam, I will uh, start with you. Uh, I hope I'm not stealing Mike Wiles' thought here. I think I know we both wanted to say something about the draft. But tomorrow night is the NBA draft. I have a feeling we'll have a different thought here. Uh, tomorrow night is the NBA draft. Um, my, my favorite draft. I, I've been a few times. I love watching it on TV as well. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see where LaMelo Ball goes. Um, it, you know, it's kind of funny to think where we were with Lonzo Ball a few years ago where LeVar was the talk of the town. And, and here we are with LaMelo a few years later who's probably the consensus number one pick and LeVar is, is nowhere to be heard of. So just kind of interesting how things have changed as far as LaMelo's draft prospects are concerned. I I'd really like to see him go to a decent sized market. I know he's probably projected to go number one at Minnesota. I, I hope that's not the case because I think that he really would get lost playing there. They don't have a lot of games on national TV and I don't think the team would be very good. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, he falls, maybe he, Maybe he goes to a team like the Warriors. Maybe the Bulls can somehow snag him at number four. Um, but I think he'll be a fun player to watch. I don't know that he's a championship-caliber player. I think there are questions about his uh, his defense and his work ethic, but he's certainly a, a flashy passer. Um, he's a great three-point shooter, so he'll be fun to watch. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where he ends up. Awesome. And, Mike, I will go to you. Yeah, we can have more than one thought about the draft, Adam. It's fine. <laughs> I am excited as well for the draft tomorrow night. That is my final thought. And the first three picks seem like it'll be, we don't know the order, but James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, and Anthony Edwards. And then from there, it's up in the air. But the Bulls have the fourth pick, as Adam mentioned. And one name I'd, I'd like to see them get is Denny Dia. He's the best player out of Israel ever. And he's been tearing up Europe. So I'm interested to see. Arturis Karnaschovas is European, and he tends to... He seems like he's open-minded. He was running the Nuggets, and they obviously had Jokic, who is one of the best, if not the best, European player in the league right now. So I'll be interested to see what happens. But Denny of Dia, wherever he goes, I'm going to follow his career they project him to be a pretty well-rounded small forward and a good wing player, and the Bulls could use all the help they could get in terms of depth at the wing right now. So if the three players projected at the top are taken, I'm hoping the Bulls take Dia at four. So we will see what happens, and I guess we'll report back next week on the draft, and uh, we'll, we'll see if our predictions are correct. Yep, I absolutely expect we will be talking about the recap um, this time next week. And that leads me to you, Ian. What's your final thought for the night? Well, I'll talk quickly about the draft, and then I, I just had one other point on on the NBA fans and, and things like that. Uh, with the Knicks, the eighth pick, as we previously discussed, they went down in the lottery, as they tend to do. I haven't been following too closely the players in that range, um, so hoping one of the bigger names falls to them. I think, while to your point, just looking at some of the the mocks, Lamelo Ball is actually um, 
one of the mocks says he's going to go all the way down to four with the Bulls. And um, I think that would be very interesting to see him in Chicago. And then another mock draft I'm seeing does have your guy Denny going to the Bulls. So that'll be that'll be fun to see if it does end up happening. The Knicks, I've seen it. It seems like they're going to maybe go for a point guard, uh, whether that's Tyrese Halliburton. Um, I've seen a couple other names in the lower part of that top ten. I don't know that any of these guys are going to be difference makers. The, the Knicks have a lot of <laughs> rebuilding they need to do. So, um, you know, not holding my breath, but hopefully uh, my biggest win coming out of tomorrow will be the Knicks not taking on Russell West, Westbrook's contract or any uh, other aging veterans. Uh, so that's what I'm hoping to see. And then just one other point on, on fans in the NBA, and it's something we'll keep a close eye on. It's just interesting to see where we were you know, early last year where one case shut down all of sports and cases now are at, at, you know, higher than they've ever been in the country and in, in the world right now. And, you know, fans are attending games in, in most NFL stadiums. And it seems like the NBA, a lot of owners want it to happen. I, it probably from a health perspective should not, but like Adam was saying, money, money talks. And there's an interesting article actually that I was just reading about um, actually the Golden State Warriors, who obviously in California, their governor's pretty strict about what goes on there and you know all that. But they have some plans around using rapid testing and, and potentially filling the arena up to 50% with rapid testing, which can get results within 15 minutes. So if they're able to pull that off, that would be very interesting and definitely be a model for other teams to follow, um, partnering with the organization clear which is an interesting uh opportunity which i know i i use for yankee games so it's uh it's kind of like tsa pre-check but a different company so something like that i think there's a lot of opportunity for innovation and you know technology can play a big role in that so hopefully we see um you know even before the vaccine some some uh, interesting opportunities for fans to safely attend games and unlike you three my final thought will not be on the nba draft um I'm excited to recap it next week, but I do not expect much of anything from from the Sixers in this draft, given that, A, they don't have a, a great pick, and B, they have shown over the past four to five years that they don't really know how to draft. Um, so I expect very, very little from them. So my final thought here, um, you know, I, I make it a point not to get political on these podcasts, because um, that's not what this is about, but I, you're going to have to oblige me here. Um, I, I want to say it was seven or eight years ago. Um, when I was living in New York, and Mike, this might have been just before you would come over, um, we had run into Doc Gooden right outside of the MLB network, and Adam, you had gotten him to uh, to come and take a picture with us, um, which was awesome. And I bring it up because I, I I read a story that he is apparently going to get an entire year of probation simply because he, he possessed cocaine uh, last year. And I, I just think that is the most ridiculous thing, that we're penalizing people who have never done anything wrong ever just for you know ingesting their own bodies with a substance that has nothing to do with anybody else um i i just think we have to stop with this i i you know sports is a lot of fun stupid drug arrests like this are just a simple distraction off of you know away from great players who have had great careers and you know i'd like to think that um, I know Oregon decided to decriminalize, and hopefully a lot of other states are on the way. I, I just think we go, we, we, we've got to cut this out, and, and you know, start prosecuting real crimes. And you know, th- there's no reason whatsoever that a guy like Doc Gooden should have any legal trouble. Um, so that's it for the night. Uh, Ian Gus, Adam Rosen, Mike Weil, and myself. 
We will catch you next week on the Sports Cafe. Peace.